Well, everybody, I'm here today with Ben Trombley of Insightro. Ben, welcome to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Thank you very much. Really glad to have you here. And uh, I was hoping we like to, you know, give everybody a little bit of background, sort of, you know, lay the land for them. Um, can you tell us where in your career led you to uh, form Insightro and why? Sure. Insightro originally was PCI Compliance LLC. We, uh, I, I had come from the merchant services world been in the industry around 20 years now, and basically working with several ISOs, doing data analysis, data management, all kinds of things in the technical side of things on, on processing. We create some bid tools and uh, CRM systems, things like that previously. Right. We saw a big opportunity and saw what was going to happen with PCI compliance. So in 2008, when the rest of the, the market of PCI compliance was focused on level one, level two, and service providers, we saw an opportunity for ISOs to make revenue from PCI compliance for level four merchants. And so that was kind of our angle, was the big break, and it truly did change the industry. As you know it today, everybody's pretty much required to do PCI compliance for level four merchants. Right. And number one reason, and you know, not to to pull the, the cover off of it, but it's really about revenue. It sure. was a revenue opportunity for ISOs, for processors, all the above. It was a uh, race to the bottom, as, as everybody calls it, on pricing when it comes to basis points and transaction fees. And this kind of turned the corner to allow different opportunity for processors and ISOs to compete and continue to make additional revenues. So that's kind of where the, the program really kicked off in 2008. Uh-huh. Uh, we built a portal for PCI compliance for level four merchants with ISOs in mind so that they had the ability with hierarchies and rep logins and simplification for merchants to complete compliance, those type things. So in a nutshell, that was the the start of it. But then since we've had so many different partners, primarily ISOs, banks, QSAs, ASVs, and so forth, uh, a lot of our technology has kind of turned to what else can we bring to the table instead of just being a piece of fighter. And mm-hmm. so a lot of these tools and things that we're going to talk about the Advantage program today, but a lot of our tools, Bidmaster, which is an automated bid tool, mobile app frameworks, a white-labeled mobile app product, a CRM system companion, which can work with people's systems to do residual auditing, things like that, is in the works at the same time, our, our Advantage program. These all come out of just because of who our customers are and who we work with on a day-to-day basis. Sure. Sure. So let's, let's talk about the Advantage program. and how to, What is it and how does it work? Perfect. So Advantage program is, is two sides to the program. One being, uh, we, we call it merchant data security instead of breach protection. Okay. I'll explain why. And then the other side is a chargeback reimbursement. Right. So for two years, we sought after, obviously, the EMV liability shift happens, right? Merchants are basically getting robbed by their customers right? because the customer can steal product from them by saying it was fraud and merchant loses the money in the product. It's unfair. Even if they swipe the card, right? So EMV liability shift happens. We go out to try to find a solution for our partners and end up uh, in a negotiation for two years with insurance companies to finally come with a product that reimburses merchants for chargeback. So two sides, chargeback reimbursement, merchant data security is basically a breach protection on steroids, which uh-huh. uh, which we can get into that as well. Um, would you like me to, yeah. to address both? Please. Yeah, perfect. So uh, first thing first, everybody loves the chargeback reimbursement, so let me start with that. It's very simple. Card present merchants, if they have a a chargeback for fraud, for EMV liability shift, or for fallback, we'll reimburse them up to $1,000 per chargeback. It's very straightforward. It's insurance. There's no integration. Uh All they have to do is upload a copy of the chargeback letter to our portal. Our team takes over from there. Customer gets a check within 30 to 45 days currently. 
Why and are there are there are there like requirements on the merchant as far as like what they have to do to you know avoid these charges in order to qualify for the insurance or the whatever you want to call it? Not at all. Uh, so that's it's kind of the beautiful thing about the program, huh. which okay. which makes us very unique in this fact. There's nobody in the world that does this program but us. Yeah. Um, anybody that's in the chargeback world today, they're working on products that are working on integration, have to approve transactions like you're, you're talking about here, or have different stipulations that will, again, help as far as taking the transaction more preventative or what happens after the fact. Our program is truly an, an insurance-based program that just reimburses the merchant if they get the chargeback for the reasons. So the reasons are really the only defining requirements. So fraud, EM liability shift, and fallback for card present. Go okay. ahead. Yeah, no, that was what I was going to ask what the reasons were. So. so basically it wouldn't cover like, you know, your chargebacks where somebody says, you know, the, the merchant said they were going to refund my money and they didn't. You know, that that's the kind of thing you're saying it wouldn't cover. That's, that's like something that, that would be the merchant's fault operationally. It's not like somebody's claiming somebody stole a card or whatever. Right. So uh, perfect question. I get this a lot, actually. Yes, this is going to be not things that are generally in the merchant's control. So EMV liability shift kind of the only exception, right? They, they, sure. Everybody can buy EMV chip readers, but not everybody does. Right. And is it truly a requirement or is it just them pushing it? And so that's where the gray area begins of EMV liability shift. So we truly, if they get an EMV liability shift chargeback, we reimburse the merchant. But in addition to that, it's fraud. So that's something that's out of the control of the merchant. Right. Merchant is not, unless they're using their own card, which they're going to have more problems with the processor than us uh, yeah, as far yeah. as right. fraud, right? So fraud is out of the merchant's control. A fallback, when they tried to use the chip, chip didn't work, it told them to swipe it, and then it turns into a chargeback. All those reasons are really out of the merchant's control. It's just a merchant getting robbed. Product not as described. Duplicate processing transaction. Merchant got paid twice. Product not delivered. These type things are in the merchant's control. We can't obviously fund fraud sure. and say, here, create a business around frauding people, and we'll, we'll back you with insurance. Right. Okay. So, so, and now the Advantage program, though, is different from that, correct? So, the Advantage program is both combined. So, okay. we, we call it Advantage program for, for one really big reason when it comes to an insurance based product. So, you don't have to be a licensed insured broker to sell the product. Okay. It's a package. It comes with the rest of the things that we offer by being boarded to our portal, having access to submit your concerns, claims, things like that, where we can help process the data, facilitate reporting, so forth. So that's why it's primarily it's called a Advantage program because it's a program that's offered by working with our company and being a part of our portal. And that gets you out of the clear of having to be, like I said, an insurance broker. With that said, it is backed by True Insurance, two aid-rated carriers, as well as a licensed insured broker, PIN Network, Payment Insurance Network. CEO of that company is Kevin Mendisbel. He is our partner. We created this program together in uh, with a licensed insured broker to make sure everything is above par and done properly. Ben, do you consider yourself a, a PCI compliance services company? How do you actually characterize <laughs> Insitro? Good question. And when I figure it out, I'll let you know. Okay. I'm kidding. <laughs> sounds more like ISO services, really, it does. right? It sounds a lot like I, that's what I was thinking, yeah. Yeah, I mean, mainly our, our focus is our partners. We want to be the best partner, moving partner, right? Continuing to grow partner, relevant partner for everybody that we work with, whether that's a processor, a bank, an ISO, so forth. So we constantly are trying to develop new products, technology, streamlining processes for it. But it's all based around that. The PCI compliance in the beginning was the, the core of the company. It's kind of the core of the backbone of everything that leads 
back to the services that we provide, go back to that same portal. Uh-huh. Um, so that's part of that CMS system we're creating is a, a single platform to just do everything an ISO or bank or partner would need, and we'll continue to add to it. So instead of it being a billion different companies having their products in a platform, right, right like, like a Salesforce, this is more of a, hey, we've created all these tools for you, so you can just work with us. You don't have to go and find all these other companies. Um, just to make things easier, simpler, and then uh, also being able to be adaptive. So leaving our APIs open. So if you have other tools you want to use, fine. We're, we're happy to support that as well. Uh-huh. To date, none of our integrations, none of our building, have we ever built a partner for customization. But I know that's one of your questions, so I'll let you get to that. No, that's, no, I'm uh, that's go, a, yeah, no, go yeah. ahead, please elaborate. Those questions, you know, I, I kind of like to let this flow, so go for it. Sure. So the, the one a really, really big differentiator between us and the rest of the marketplace, number one is all of our our employees are on staff. Obviously I said employees, but they're all on staff. So we're we're not having to outsource our development of, of technology or our programming, things like that. It's all in house. So I have the ability to continue to move and mold with the marketplace on a drop of a hat, right? I, hey, we got this new thing. We need to run after it. Or I have a partner. Hey, I really need this component. Great. Put it in the storyboard and off we go. Right. It's not something that I have to plan for. And in six months and after I've charged you $15,000, I'll deliver you a product. We're constantly moving, constantly developing. So that's one of the really big differentiators in what we're doing as comparative to what the rest of the market does. So we're, we're more fluid, if you would, on, on products and development, integrations. And are most of your, most of your staff then, um, uh, for lack of a better word, tech geek, techie geeks, or you know, <laughs> are there salespeople as well? You know what I'm saying? I mean, how do you kind of make that switch? Because I know that the technology is really important and having a good grasp of the technology is important, but so is having a good grasp of sales and merchant services, right? 100%. So because of all the tools that we've done, not to sidetrack on another bunny trail, but Bidmaster is mm-hmm. a product that we launched, I want to say it was 2010, I think it was. But in that process, we had to completely dive into every residual for all the processors to see how they develop their residuals, right. how they kick those residuals out to you to understand every component and aspect so that we could build an automated tool that automates interchange and so forth. So as far as understanding the ISOs and what they go through on a day-to-day basis, what their requirements are for their sales agents and so forth, and just training a new sales rep into the industry is insanely hard, right? Sure. Uh, so with all the things that, that we've done and experienced with our partners, it's really given us kind of that basis of knowledge to know what ISOs need and how to work with them, as well as the banks and processors, because they're supporting these same ISOs that we support. Sure. And that's a, it's a really big deal for us. So for sales, as everybody knows, it's about relationship. We're relationship people. We like to, to work with everybody that we can and, and ultimately when we have those relationships, that's how we earn new business. It's not about the next ad and the next trade show that you go to that's going to get you business. It's truly about the relationships that you've built after seeing the same people a hundred times. They finally go, okay, maybe I should check them out, right? I've right. been telling you five, six times. Maybe this is the time that we actually get to talk and look at business, right? So it's just the same process that everybody goes through. I try to be as involved uh, with our partners as our teams. So Every now and then, I'll even answer the phone when I'm on a hunt group or something. If, if uh, just to just again to stay in tune and, and sure. in touch with our our teams and see what's going on. So relationships are number one, very important to us. When we earn your business, we like to earn your business for life. I don't want to just be a the next leapfrog, right? I'm not trying to be your, mm-hmm. your business for short term. So the idea is relationship for us in the sales aspects. As far as technology, I try to do our best to make sure 
as a team that we're layman's. Everything is layman's terms because right. the majority of, of merchants aren't technical. They don't understand PCI. They don't know why they're doing it, uh, and neither do the ISOs that are that are coming to us for service uh, uh, most of the time. So everything that we do is we try to take the technical and, and make it layman, so that way you can understand it, know what what we're trying to accomplish without having to give you a bunch of technical information that goes over everybody's head. Right, right. So now, and, and just if you could just clarify, so in terms of the ways that you work with ISOs and their sales part, uh, is it like a subscription service? Uh, is it a contract? Is it is it a referral? How does that how does that work? How do they make money on this? Sure, absolutely. So everything that we do, we give the ISO a buy rate, a lot like the processor would do okay. uh, to an ISO for credit card processing. Right. So we'll give them a buy rate. They would mark up that buy rate. Okay. Uh, so the average merchant, and I, I do want to tie this back to the Advantage program, so I'm going to dive sure. back into that. Excellent. Uh, but looking at the Advantage program in itself, uh, we give the ISO a buy rate or a cost for the chargeback reimbursement and also the merchant data security, which I'd like to dive into that a little more as well. Uh-huh. And then they would increase that cost to their merchant and roll it out to their portfolios. Average ISO today is making around $19 a merchant a month on that program. So the okay. revenues are absolutely massive. So average $1,000 or 1000 merchant portfolio is about $271,000 a year in revenue if you go with our recommendations. So a lot of the ISOs have taken advantage of that. Some come back and they do less, totally at, at their will. Whatever they would like to do with their portfolios is obviously it's their, their free will. One of the big questions I get asked all the time is, do I have to use the processor because processor won't let me do anything? Or if I'm just an agent, can I, can I work with you guys because my ISO won't let me do it? Uh-huh, right? Those are right. common questions for us. You can actually do this whole program through ACH. It doesn't have to involve the processor at all. Oh, okay. Um, so utilizing those programs, you can work with us. doesn't matter what level of sales you're doing. But let me shift gears one real quick second. Sure. Get back to the merchant data security. No, I would like so that. I was hoping. Perfect. So merchant data security is is basically a breach protection on steroids. The reason I put it that way is a regular breach protection covers things like uh, card brands, fines, fees, penalties, right. forensics costs, notification costs, reissuing cards, et cetera. What they, what they don't tell you, if you actually look at the policies, is they're all limited. 10000 right. for this, 5000 right. for that, 50000 for this. They really don't have a $100,000 policy. And one, and one um, time for, only or something like that, right? Right, exactly. Yeah. So there's a lot of limitations, a lot of red tape. Nobody reads those, just like nobody reads their general liability insurance either. Right. Mm-hmm. So sure. a common problem. What we did when we launched our first program back in 2010 was we had the first program that had no limitations. It was a true $100,000 program uh, in a breach environment. When uh-huh. we launched this chargeback reimbursement, we completely redid what breach protection is uh, when we paired it with the chargeback reimbursement. And so now we're covering things like regulatory. So regulatory, uh-huh. a lot of people don't think they have to have, hey, I'm not a dentist office. Right. I, I don't deal with patient records. I don't need HIPAA. What they're not thinking is I have a loyalty system, mm-hmm. and my loyalty system, I collect name, address, phone numbers, cell phone numbers. That's personal identifiable right. info. Right, right. Data security so, is very key. 100%. So therein lies the big issue. So we're now covering them for regulatory, for post-breach chargebacks in the case of a, a breach of some ah, sort. Um, excellent. Rebuilding their reputation. Mm-hmm. Rebuilding their reputation after the breach happens. Again, protecting from personal identifiable information loss, legal consultations, crisis management, which is, which is rebuilding that reputation, data restoration. The number one reason why I think everybody should do this program is cyber extortion ransomware. Yeah. So 
ransomware is such a bad problem these days. I mean, I've been reading some data on increase in incidents. It's like double-digit growth these days. Hmm. 100% every year it's growing, and your average merchant that doesn't think they're in, in the target gets in the target because they're automated attacks. That's right. Ben, explain so, explain uh, what, what ransomware is for those that don't yeah, know what please. it is. Yeah, please. I'm sorry. Yeah, ransomware is simply a, a computer that's connected to the Internet. could be a server, could be a desktop computer, could be your point-of-sale system. It's an automated attack that runs through the Internet. If they're able to penetrate your system, being that they use a generic password of some sort, and they happen to have that generic password in their, their, list, in their list of penetration, and they get into your system, they'll lock out your system and encrypt all the data. Right. Uh, so you have no access to your computer. You'll get a little pop-up that says, hey, uh, contact us, and we'll help you. Um, get your data back for Bitcoin. Right, a hundred thousand so dollars in Bitcoin. Right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So cyber extortion is very big on the rise. It's uh, mm-hmm. it hit it hit the city of Denver. It's hit the city of Atlanta. Um, lots of cities actually have been hit. Uh, hospitals have been hit. I've heard uh, several several big hospitals been hit mm-hmm. as well as um, some educational institutions. And then you're running into not just the cyber attack itself, but now you have regulatory issues because they took PII. It right. Took that personal identity. So we're giving merchants $100,000 worth of protection with this with no deductible, where the average cyber policy in the market is $15,000 a year with a $25,000 deductible. So to me, it's an absolute no-brainer. The rest is icing on the cake that the merchant gets Mm -hmm. to have a cyber policy in place for a merchant that's not thinking about it. Makes right. it 100%. We also include ISO indemnity in that too. So if uh. a merchant if a merchant goes upside down and the processor starts going after the merchant, then the ISO has the same hundred thousand dollars that the merchant had for all the same reasons. So you can start to see we kind of covered all bases yeah. trying to be in, a conclusive solution for a merchant outside of their general liability insurance and way further than than what PCI covers today. Well, wow, very cool. Very very cool. So, so this is really helpful. So, uh, tell me, Ben, um, if we uh, listeners out there want to learn more about Insitro, uh, how, how would they go about doing that? Perfect. So, our website is just insitro.com, E-N-C-Y-T-R-O.com. You're able to go there, reach out to us via phone or email. Our uh-huh. team, our team can be reached at info at insitro.com. Love to to work with you, and and any opportunities or questions are welcome. Awesome. Thank you so really much. Really good info. Thanks, Ben. This has been really helpful. Thanks again. Have a wonderful day. We'll talk to you soon. You too. Thank you, everybody. Okay. Bye. This is the Insider's Report with Patty Murphy, brought to you by Greensheet.com, a premier resource for the electronic payments industry. The Greensheet has been on the beat since 1983, always focused on boosting the feet on the street in our evolving sphere. Okay, this week I want to describe some good news and some bad news from the POS security front. First, the good news. According to the 2019 Data Breach Investigations Report prepared by Verizon, EMV security has started delivering some real dividends. Breaches of POS terminals that let crooks harvest card data are way down. There were only 40 reported POS breaches in the accommodation sector last year, for example, down from over 300 in 2016. Wow. That's a lot. Those are just yeah. the reported ones. Remind, right, remind right, you, right. Yeah. Okay, well, now for the bad news. POS devices continue to be compromised. <laughs> yeah. And recent news reports illustrate this. 
In May, Checkers Drive-In Restaurants, Inc. revealed that malware was placed on POS systems at 100-plus rallies in Checkers restaurants in 20 states, or about 15% of all of the company's restaurants, Hmm. that potentially exposed the payment card data of an undisclosed number of customers. The malware was designed to collect MagStripe data, which, of course, is exposed when a card is swiped, Rather than dip and as it's EMV, a key theme, right? And you know, even with all that, I still right now, as you're saying that, I'm just really my mouth is salivating for some Rally's fries. <laughs> you know what? Even <laughs> if my card was compromised, that's how bad I want the fries right now. They do have great fries. But anyway, sorry, we actually are, have checkers by us. You have Rally's up here? No, I just when I'm traveling, if oh, I see a Rally's, okay. I have to get fries from Rally's. I don't know what it is. Well, They're just checkers so good. is just as good. <laughs> we have checkers down by me, and it's like I do the same thing. It's like I, I just want the fries. <laughs> right, right. I think I will make sure that they take my EMV chip now. Though. Though, yeah, yeah, you better check on yeah, that. You know? Yeah, I, I did notice when I checked which ones were compromised, it wasn't the one that I go to. So. Oh, good. There you go. <laughs> anyway, but soon after the checkers uh, breach was revealed, um, it was revealed that an unknown number of restaurants in the fast food chain Huddle House had been similarly compromised. Now, uh, I'm not familiar with that one. It's a uh, it's a breakfast place. Okay. Okay. It's sort of like Waffle House. Oh, okay. Okay. It's kind of like Waffle House. Got it. Got it. Only they're more for about eggs as, as opposed to waffles. But Okay. Um, anyway, the company said in a statement that attackers compromised their POS vendor's data system to gama- gain remote access and the ability to deploy malware to some of its POS systems. And like checkers, the malware was used to capture information stored on magstripes. Now, I have to say, I find it confounding that nearly four years after the EMV liability shift took effect, there are still merchants, regional and national chains, right. that are relying on 20th century magstripe terminals. Yeah, it's like they, don't, they didn't want to spend the, the 1.2 million or whatever yeah, it was to upgrade all their POS systems. the 1.2 million was, you know? Right, right. You know, EMV isn't the law. It's a card brand requirement. But the liability shift was meant to encourage adherence by mandating liability for payment frauds that occur because card transactions weren't secured. Uh, and that liability falls to the party that wasn't using EMV. Right. To me, that seemed like pretty strong motivation. Now, according to Visa, 75% of U.S. storefronts, or 3.5 million, were accepting EMV cards at the end of March. That's up from uh, 392,000 back in September 2015, just before the thing went in. So it's a big... It's huge. Huge. Yeah. But, you know, and there were more than half a billion, half a billion EMV credit and debit cards in the wallets of Americans as of the end of March. Wow, that's actually more than there are Americans. So it's yeah, more so than it's like one two, card per. It's like two cards per. Uh, yeah. Per person. Yeah. Which is a lot, and that's up from 159 million. So it's a pretty big leap. Yeah. But you know, and while 75 percent is a significant share, that still leaves 25 percent of POS terminals that are easy prey for fraudsters. Sure. You know, when I first came across this data from Visa, I figured most of the merchants in the 25 percent category were the small guys, but apparently that's not the case. No. I mean, you know, Checkers has 800 fast food shops in 28 states. Right. Huddle House has 340 stores in 23 states. Yeah. I mean, those are pretty well, good. Well, I think, it, it, you know, to some extent it does make financial sense because the smaller merchants, for them to become EMV compliant was like a two $300 decision. Right. It wasn't, it wasn't a yeah. multi-million dollar I mean, for decision. Checkers, you've got to figure... You gotta figure it's gonna cost them five hundred per location at least. Yeah, sure. If it cost them a thousand, it'd be eight hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. And I think they looked at their fraud and said, "Oh, uh, it's not worth it." But yeah. I think what they th- what they might have missed was how much damage was just done to their brand. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think you know? is uh, to me that would be the really 
you yeah. know, key thing, especially when you're. I mean, you know, it's like the death line risk. You yeah. don't want you don't want you don't want to take those risks that are going to put you out of business or right. or materially damage your brand. That's it's irreparable almost. You know? And I don't know about you, but I've been seeing a lot of checkers and rallies commercials on TV lately. So it's like it's like they're trying to grow and they're then they're shooting themselves in the foot. Them, yeah, exactly. But again, I still want to go get the fries. So maybe they didn't. Oh, maybe they didn't maybe damage it, wasn't it forever. That bad, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, while the data supports EMV as a security measure. It's not the only benefits, you know, merchants can realize. As right. It, as, you know, these chips can also support contactless or, you know, tap-and-go payments. As we discussed in the past, contactless cards use near-field communications to communicate with POS terminals, just as, you know, tap-and-go mobile payments work. Uh, as I've described in past podcasts, Visa and MasterCard are both working with transit agencies in major metropolitan areas to support contactless credit and debit card payments in public transportation. Fast food is also a good place for contactless payments and seems likely to take off. So maybe somebody ought to tell Checkers and Huddles about that. Yeah, Huddle really. House about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's somebody listening right now that sells national accounts. Go go call them. Go call them. That's <laughs> what I would do. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, those are really some big opportunities left out there. And, and it's, it is funny. I mean, we really don't talk about it very much, but I think, um, you know, there are people listening that have an ISO or something where they have access to good cost structures and things. Right. I think people would actually be surprised at... I mean, selling, I've sold some really large, I sold 300 location deal. Uh-huh. Um, selling these big deals, um, it's not really as hard as you might think. As long as you're a payments professional and you really know what you're doing. Right. I actually kind of like it because it really does come more down to the logic and the numbers. And the, it's not about, you know, are they having a bad day that day? You know, selling right. small business owners, unfortunately, a lot of times the reason they're so small is that they're not as cold and logical about the numbers. It's more about if they like you or they right. think you're, you know, whatever. But when you're going to sell a big company, you're putting a bid in, they're looking for the best rate with the best security and service. Right. So you really get a chance to kind of go in there and do your thing. Now, the downside is the sales cycle is a little bit longer, of course, of a course. lot longer. A lot but, longer. You know, but it still, to me, is uh, can be really worth it. So, yeah, that's really, really interesting, really good information and definitely something. It's almost like, I mean, one out of four feels like it's still worth it's Con- still worth going out there and looking and for those yeah, people, right? Yeah, it is. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow, good stuff, Patty. Thank you. This is Questions from the Field, brought to you by InstantQuoteTool.com. With over 30 training courses covering everything from sales objections to statement analysis, ISOs are using our learning management system to help new agents understand the industry and how to sell merchant services. Industry veterans love our courses because we dive deeper into concepts such as interchange and explore new industry trends like cash discounting, NFC, and the resurgence of American Express with the OptiBlue program. Put all of these training courses together with the leading proposal creation tool for merchant services agents in the field, and we believe our branded ISO solution and individual user package is a must-have. Visit instantquotetool.com today or email support at instantquotetool.com to learn more. On questions from the field today, I want to talk about the responsibility of management to remove barriers uh, to the sales process. Important. Removing barriers. So, you know, one of the key things as I talk to salespeople, so one of the things I do a lot of times in consulting is uh, somebody will say, okay, we have, you know, 10 salespeople. We want you to spend 15 minutes with all each of them individually. 
and that'll give me so much really good feedback about the sales process. And so I've done actually, I think, four things like that in the last month. Uh So I've talked to a lot of salespeople, and one of the common threads I've noticed is that every company has a different barrier. But a lot of times there's this thing where when I ask the salesperson, I'll say, you know, describe the sales process to me. What's the first step? What's the next step? You know, and what will happen is I'll get to a point where there'll be this ambiguity. Uh They don't know what the next step is. And, you know, sometimes that will be at the end of the opening pitch. Sometimes it'll be at the end of a demo. Sometimes it'll be, you know, any number of things. And and it's like when that happens and there and I say, okay, now what's the next step? Well, sometimes Mm. as soon as they say that, I go, oh, here we go. So then I dive in and I say, well, why don't you do it? You know, why don't you always do this? Well, because X. And there are so many different barriers. It's hard to even, you know, give a general idea of them because there's so many of them. Sometimes there's something that there is a feature that's missing from what you provide. Maybe you're selling a, a, you're an ISV and you have a a software and some people want recurring payments and you don't offer that. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, talk to your salespeople. Sometimes you're selling, I talked to a a consulting client recently where um, hardware is a big part of what they're doing. And so they're an ISV, but they also, it's in store. So they're selling hardware and they didn't have a good financing option. So people have to come up with two, three, four thousand dollars to wow. move forward rather than two hundred bucks a month or one hundred fifty a month. And so as talking to their salespeople, it's like, well, I don't know what the next step is. It depends on if they have the money or not. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's a barrier. Um, sure. I'm trying to think of others. There's so many I've talked to, but you'll run into issues where they just they hit this spot where they're like, well, sometimes I do this, sometimes I do that. Talk through your salespeople with like, what is the process and identify those areas where there's a divergence, uh-huh. right? And then once you've identified that divergence, then you got to hone in on that and say, why is that? What is this barrier that is keeping us from moving forward? Because we're going to, whenever you have that variation, that's where you start to lose people. Sure. So identify your sales process, talk to your salespeople. You know, last week we talked about meetings. This is a good thing for the group meeting to talk about, you sure. know? And, sure. and it's funny too, like if you have three different salespeople, have each of them take a piece of paper and write down the steps of the sales process, their steps of the sales process. Uh Compare them and see how closely they match up. And when you start to see big differences or long explanations about it, you know, you go, oh, wait a second. Why why is this so complicated? Right. And then you dig in and all of a sudden you can find ways to dramatically improve uh, productivity and even profitability for your whole team. Good stuff. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production from greensheet.com and ccsalespro.com. We hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.